I really had to learn over time, because I was gonna drive myself crazy, that I can't doubt myself every time something wasn't going perfectly. But what I realized was going back to saying, no, I'm giving myself whatever timeline I've set out for the next goal before I waste time and energy on doubting instead of implementing. That was really key for me once I figured that out and it took a while. And now it's like with every goal, I'm sitting down and saying, I'm gonna try this until I know it doesn't work. And then if that doesn't work, then I'm gonna have to come up with another creative solution and test that. And it's just about always experimenting and testing new things, whether that's with the content or the marketing strategies. Welcome to the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks. If you are an entrepreneur, freelancer, side hustler, big thinker, or just a straight up dreamer, then this is your show. Have you ever doubted whether there's a place for your business amidst a market that is fully saturated with competitors who might have deeper pockets than you? In a competitive David versus Goliath business landscape, your concept will need more than willpower and brute force to cut through. That slingshot style secret weapon is your business strategy and unique value proposition, which even has the ability to turn your competitors into your allies. I'm talking to Erica Mandy, host of The Newsworthy, a 10-minute daily news podcast with the tagline, Fast, Fair, and Fun. It is consistently at the top of the daily news charts alongside major news organizations like NPR, New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and her former employer, CBS News. Making a living as an independent content creator is no small feat, but she's never shied away from hard work. Here's Erica on how she made it to her dream job and then left it all behind. With television news, you have to go to a small town, and it's kind of like grad school in that small town where you make all your mistakes and probably something ends up on YouTube because you made a horrible mistake on live television. I always feel bad for those reporters and anchors that end up on uh, John Oliver's last week tonight, like with the flubs. I'm like, oh, they're just doing, they're trying their hardest, John. (laughs) Don't laugh at them. Exactly. (laughs) But that was you for a time. (laughs) I, I was actually glad that YouTube wasn't a big thing when I first started, to be honest. Yes, since then I've been on it uh, because people were screaming things in the background, but that was later on in my career. So I was able to handle it a little bit better. But I moved out to a, a small town in Missouri, in the middle of Missouri for my first job. And basically my life was working these crazy hours for television news and for my career. And really for the next, you know, seven-ish years, I was just focused on moving my way up within television news. So that meant going from a small town, working my way up to a middle-sized city, and then finally to Los Angeles, which was the second largest news market in the country. Um, But it took seven years to get there. And then I worked another three years in LA before quitting. And there's a lot that you have to do. There are a lot of hats you have to wear, especially when you're working your way up, right? You're not just like standing there with a microphone. 100%. You do everything as what we call a one-man band or a one-woman band when you're first starting out. So that means camera work. You know, I I was the photographer. I was the reporter, the writer, even the editor. Wait, you're on air and you're also running the camera. Well, once I'm actually on air, sometimes I would set it up on my own and then stand in front of it and no one was behind the camera. But I'm even talking about when I'm getting video out in the field before I'm live. You're shooting all the B-roll. Oh yeah, I was lugging around 50 pounds of camera equipment. 
This sounds all so glamorous, Erica. I can't imagine why you'd want to leave all of that behind. (laughs) But that eventually gets better when you move up to bigger cities. You know, I got through that. That kind of weeds out the people that just were in it for being on TV. And then you get to a bigger city and you start working with better photographers who do the camera work for you. And so when I went to Portland, Oregon and Los Angeles, of course, I didn't have to wear all those hats anymore. But really, even though it was really tough at the time, looking back, I can say that I'm thankful I wore all those hats because I worked so much better with all the other people, the people that do all those roles, because I know what they're going through and I know what makes their job easier if I stand a certain way or if I help them out in this other way. And so I'm so much more knowledgeable. And really, once I left television news and started in podcasting, I did all my own editing for the podcast for a while because I knew how to do it. And so that was a nice advantage when I didn't have the money to pay someone when I first started out. So let's talk about that transition point, because I met you right after that decision. You were like, we were at a podcasting conference and you're like, I'm going to start this daily news podcast. At that point, I'd been doing a weekly podcast, I think for about five years. And I was like, this lady's crazy. She's going to do a daily (laughs) podcast on her own, competing also, Erica, like the only people who were really in news, as far as I know, at that point in podcast news were like the big players, the NPRs and the New York Times. And that's that takes a lot of chutzpah to just (laughs) be like, I'm going to step into that lane. When was the first moment when you left the station in L.A. and you were like, I think I can do this on my own? Well, that moment came before I left the station in L.A. um, because I had to decide that I wanted to do this before I decided to leave. And I had this idea and I researched this idea before I got the guts to quit my full time job. And at the time, there really wasn't any daily news podcast. Yes, of course, there was NPR kind of repurposing radio and stuff like that. But um, when I first got the idea, there was maybe like there was a couple daily podcasts that I knew of, but they weren't necessarily news and daily news podcasts were not a big thing. But I saw that opportunity. And more importantly, what got me thinking in this way was hearing from so many people that they were tuning out news altogether because they felt it was too time consuming, depressing, biased and overwhelming. Those were kind of the four words that I felt like everyone kept saying about news and that they just couldn't watch it anymore. But then they it also stinks to be in a conversation and not know what's going on, right? So I really became passionate about how can I create something that's going to help solve the problems of those complaints and the perception of news while also staying on the forefront of how people want to consume their news. You know, we're not sitting down to watch live news programs that much anymore unless there's some big breaking story. And so I saw what was happening in the podcasting space. Obviously, podcasting had been around for a long time, but it was really starting to pick up. And I saw an opportunity of creating what I now call fast, fair, and fun news that helps people get the news in a quick way, in an unbiased way, and in a friendly, casual way that doesn't feel like some authority telling you how you need to feel. Was it intimidating, Erica, to step into that space with these big companies? I know there weren't that many daily news shows there, but that seems to me, coming from even corporate media, that that would be very daunting. Was your goal to be in competition with them or to be an alternative? 
Well, I'll tell you, I remember having the idea when a couple of the big players came out with their daily news podcast, and I hadn't had a chance yet to launch, even though it was an idea, because I was still working. I still had to play out the contract I had with CBS in LA. So I might have been researching this and telling them that I need to leave at the end of my contract, but I couldn't launch it yet. And so I remember actually going to my husband and saying, should I even do this anymore? All these big players are starting to get into daily news podcasts. But then I realized that the whole point of me starting this was because I brought something different to the table. It offered something unique, which was that fast, fair, fun vibe of the show. And I think we live in a world where people, you, of course, as a journalist, I need to have experience and credibility and be able to give you the facts. But I think people appreciate an independent viewpoint. You know, there's so many perceptions about different news outlets. And sometimes you want somebody to do what we do, which is look at all of them and bring them all together into one place that's convenient for you. So I think we have that advantage as an independent news organization. One, that's what some people want. And then two, it's just bringing something different to the table than you can get from those other people. And you know, some listeners, this isn't the thing where CBS versus ABC at five o'clock anymore, where you have to choose. Now with on-demand podcasting and digital platforms in general, people can choose to listen to both if they want. And I've heard from listeners who do, and they get something different from each one. That's a really good point that I hadn't really considered. Even though like my philosophy on business is there's enough room for all of us, right? More for you, means more for me and more for all of us. And even in the, especially in the podcasting world, like knowing people are listening to this podcast right now, like they're going to be recommended other podcasts that are similar. So someone who was listening to your competitor might one day pick up the newsworthy and want to subscribe. And I'll just briefly add that they do some of the podcast marketing for us, right? They have the resources and money to tell people about podcasting. And so I look at that as, hey, they're bringing people over to the medium. And then eventually those people are going to search around and say, what other podcasts are out there? And it might actually benefit us all. A rising tide lifts all boats. When I began as a dating coach 15 years ago, I had two major problems. One, no one knew what a dating coach was. Two, I had to then sell my service as a solution to a problem that they didn't know they had. Later, when I became a podcaster, the same thing happened all over again. And I found myself having to explain what I was even doing. Yes, it's like a radio show on your phone. And I am still trying to get my mother to understand how I make a living creating content without a network and why exactly I gave up my NBC 401k for it. Now that there are more people doing what I do, it's added more interest into the fields that I'm in. So I can spend more of my time just doing what I love without having to explain what it is that I do. Flip your thinking about your competitors to see them more as people to generate interest in your offering. And when you have a clear understanding of what makes your particular spin unique, then it will be smooth sailing. Let's talk about the finances of this, because I have been known to say nobody goes into podcasting to get rich. (laughs) And I'm not saying you're rich. I'm just saying You're profitable, which puts you in a very elite category where you're actually able to make your living from your podcast. And I know because I've known you for a long time, I know how much detail work goes into thinking of your podcast as a business 
So I'm curious to know how in the early stage you planned that out and then how you actually were able to achieve those monetary goals. Absolutely. It was definitely a big decision where I had to sit down with my husband and say, are we willing to do this? I had worked for 10 years. He obviously had worked for more than 10 years. And we had to come in and say, what are our savings? What are you bringing to the table? Do we both feel comfortable with me maybe not making money for a year while I I launch this? I have to build an audience. I was very realistic that I was not going to make money right away. And then even coming from television, you know, I worked in a lot of local news stations and those people don't necessarily follow you around. So it wasn't like I had this huge audience from the beginning, which makes it much easier, obviously, if you're launching something and you have a massive audience already. And so I went into it saying, let me try this for one year. I have to give myself enough time to be able to build a big audience, but not too much time where... (laughs) you know, it's really going to impact us financially if I continue not to make money. And so we agreed that we felt there was enough potential here that this was worth the risk. And what I learned in that first year was not to let the inevitable roller coaster of running a business, and especially within that first year, impact my decision about whether I was going to keep going. I didn't want to waste my time and energy on wondering if this was going to work out month to month based on wins or losses in that first year. I decided that I would look back at that one year mark to say, one, did I start to make money at least? And two, am I moving in the right direction? Do I have growth? And as long as I was getting positive feedback and I was growing enough that I could project out that this was gonna be worthwhile in the long term, then I would keep going. And if not, if if this really wasn't resonating with anybody and I had not made any money in that first year, then I would give up on it and say, I have to pivot and get another job of some sort. And thankfully, after that first year, I had made my first dollar and I was hearing from people who felt less anxiety about news, who felt more informed, were having better conversations, and even people who were voting for the first time because they felt more informed with just 10 minutes a day. And so that is really what said, okay, this is resonating. We're starting to make money. Let's keep going. Can you walk me through just the nuts and bolts of how you were tracking success? Because I know you to be very organized as well. (laughs) You're like, how are you making money in your podcast? I'm like, I don't know, like sell an ad here or there, whatever. And then like you have spreadsheets, you have prediction (laughs) forms. And please just talk us through your planning process and then how you actually are tracking along the way. I had to, I learned a lot of that kind of within running this business. That wasn't something that I did as a journalist. And so I learned along the way, and I'm still learning about all of that. But what I realized was that I couldn't just say, I want to make $100,000 this month or something. You know, I'm just making this up. But I couldn't just say that and hope that it comes true. I had to sit down and say, what is realistic for the audience size that I have? If I continue the growth projection that I'm on now, so every month I may be growing 5-10% in terms of audience size with the strategies that I'm implementing today, then if that continues, can I expect to make with that audience size with advertising in six months from now, in a year from now? And what if I add these marketing strategies? I think that might increase my audience size by X percentage. And so it's sitting down with a spreadsheet and really taking that time to think through what strategies do I want to test? 
once I have those results, what growth do they actually bring me? And then putting that in the spreadsheet to say, okay, with that audience size in six months, based on these marketing strategies, I'll be making X dollars through advertising. And then to actually implement certain marketing strategies, I need to spend this amount. And so what does that mean for profit? And how much can I afford to actually spend on those marketing strategies? And so that's kind of how I think about projecting out what my long-term potential is, which really helps me in that first year or two when I'm not making a lot of money to say, okay, if I keep up at this pace and I do these certain things, I will be profitable and I will be making more than I was as a TV news reporter by year four. Did you have any oh crap moments where you were like, this is really, this is really going to work and got surprised by the result or realized that you weren't on target financially, maybe had overcommitted for something that wasn't yielding returns? Of course, of course. You know, those first two years, I would say, were really a roller coaster. I mentioned this earlier, but I really had to learn over time because I was going to drive myself crazy that I can't doubt myself every time something wasn't going perfectly. When I would see the audience numbers plateau, even though I was doing the same marketing strategies that worked before, I would get really discouraged at first and say, am I ever going to get the audience size to what I need it to be to actually make good money here? But what I realized was going back to saying, no, I'm giving myself that first year or I'm giving myself whatever timeline I've set out for the next goal before I waste time and energy on doubting instead of implementing. That was really key for me once I figured that out and it took a while. And now it's like with every goal, I'm sitting down and saying, I'm going to try this until I know it doesn't work. And then if that doesn't work, then I'm going to have to come up with another creative solution and test that. And it's just about always experimenting and testing new things, whether that's with the content or the marketing strategies. That's something I've definitely admired in your journey is you try a lot of things, but you're always tracking how well something is working. I think a lot of times people in various businesses, you know, they might want to like advertise on TV because it's sexy. You know, they're like, oh, I got a few bucks. I'll throw it out there. And they can't really see if it has a return. But, you know, I have a friend, he has a written advertisement on a bench and and it's just like his picture and his name. And it like doesn't even say what he does. And I'm like, I can't imagine that that ad is yielding monetary results, but maybe there's other value from it that he gets just from like name recognition and people seeing his face or just like the feeling that he gets passing his bench. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't see, I can't see Erica Mandy doing that. I can't see you buying a bench. I've handed out flyers before, you know, but I think we would be surprised at even how big organizations and companies, they have a marketing budget and they kind of throw it around and say, well, in general, we're growing. So I'm sure something's working. But look, when we're a small operation, you don't want to waste money in that way. And so the more that you can track it and know the results, it allows you to double down on what's working and actually use that money to bring you more money instead of wasting it. And that doesn't mean you're not going to test things and some money is going to go to waste. But I like to do small tests, see what results I can. Some things are more easily tracked than others, but with the limitations that each marketing strategy 
gives you. You do the best you can to see what results there are. And then when something works with your budget, I can put more money into that because I'm not wasting that same money on this broad strategy that I'm not tracking where some of it's maybe working and some of it's not working and I don't know which is which. You make total sense and I still screw it up, but you've told me that before and and one day it's going to get through my thick skull. Um, also, you have gotten funding from different sources. So in addition to the ad revenue on the podcast, how else have you been able to monetize the newsworthy thinking of it, you know, as a business and not just as a podcast? Well, I will say that advertising is my main source of revenue and I do plan to expand the network and the business in the future. But currently this one show and the advertising revenue I get from it is the majority of my revenue. And that was very planned out. And I can talk a little bit about why or how, but I was not originally looking for any sort of investment, but one did come to me. It was a small investment. And what really, it it was a nice safety blanket for when I really started hiring a team. But I think more than that, I was excited about the resources and connections that that portfolio brought to the table. It gave me a lot of extra credibility in the industry, extra visibility, and it enabled me to, you know, get on the phone with certain people that I maybe wouldn't have had access to before and get advice from, you know, the chief revenue officer of the Stitcher app or people who have done advertising contracts as their career, you know, an agent or a lawyer and get advice about my next negotiation uh, with my ad agency. And so some of those resources that I got from that investment, I would say was even more important than the funding. Mm, That makes sense. It really is strategic partnerships and how it, how it positions you. You brought up um, it enabling you to expand your team Talk to me about that process as a lot of our listeners are solopreneurs and may may be coming upon that inflection point where they need to expand their team to grow. How did you know when that moment was coming? <laughs> and then like when you are the voice of the show and you are you're the face and the voice and the identity of the product that you are offering, how did you think about reframing that or repositioning that so that it could also sustain itself without only relying on your face and voice? Yeah. So I did pretty much everything on my own for a while. And honestly, I knew it was time to hire when I was going to burn out. And I realized this wasn't sustainable. And if I was thinking long-term about everything else, I had to think long-term about getting the show done and my efficiencies in production and how am I going to free up my time to spend more time on the marketing side of things instead of just the content and the podcast itself and and really run a business as a business owner and not just be a journalist anymore. So when I was kind of at my breaking point was, okay, I got to hire someone, which I don't recommend waiting till that moment. But I think it was also, you know, I had started to make some money that I had then to reinvest. And that meant, of course, taking not as much profit, but again, looking at my projections and saying, well, if I can free up my time to double down on my marketing, I can actually reach some of these financial goals faster. So hiring is ultimately going to be worthwhile. And so you have to think about it in that long term, not just the money that you're outputting you know, today to hire someone. And so I started small. I, I hired someone part-time to kind of help me with part of the show. 
And then as I'm sure any business owner will tell you, the more that you hire good people, the more people you want to hire because it's just so nice to have some of your time freed up for other parts of your business. And so I just kind of hired here and there. And now I do have one full-time person as well as a few other part-time people. And I come in as more of the editor and review what they have done for the show instead of writing it from scratch like I used to. And so that allows me to run the business and continue to host it and make sure it's, you know, at the level of quality that I expect. Who wants to be a solopreneur forever? It gets kind of lonely. Plus, it's a lot of responsibility to carry alone. The key is to hire before you burn out so you're not scrambling to hire and train a new team member when you're already stressed out. Your team is there to give you the space you need to do your long-range planning, your strategic thinking, and to keep the trains running so you can take some time for yourself every once in a while. This is more important than ever for Erica now that she has a new little team member on the way. This is a daily news podcast where it's your voice. And I know you're very capable and very ambitious and can get a lot of things done, but you're also sitting here talking to me at this moment. You are nine months pregnant. I know that's, I'm trying not to be out of breath here. (laughs) As a mom of two, I can't imagine doing a daily news podcast, nine months pregnant or with a newborn. So I imagine you, you have to plan to take a little bit of time off. How have you structured that? And I'm so grateful that I've been able to build a small team because to be honest with you, I would not have been able to do this in my first year of business. I would have had to shut down because it was only me. So thank goodness that this timing, and, and partly that was planned, right? But because I have that team, I am able to take a little bit of time off. Um, and I'm really grateful for the team for stepping up and, and being able to do that. It's still nerve wracking. I'm not going to lie because this has been my business baby for three and a half years, right? But it's kind of forcing me to delegate even more to make sure all my processes are in place, to make sure that if I had to take a day off, that that somebody is able to still get the show on the air and make sure every, all of those pieces still happen, which is fantastic. Um, and I'm so grateful to be in that place now. And so the last couple months have really been about preparing my team for me to take some time off, hiring some new people, and even hiring a fill-in host. Because while a lot of podcasts could pre-record things, obviously the news happens on a daily basis. I cannot pre-record everything for my show, which means I had to find a fill-in host and be okay with that, that I'm going to hand it over to someone for a little bit. And, you know, we found someone who's really great, and I think the audience is going to love her. And I'm excited for that kind of next level of sustainability and scale that it doesn't have to be me all the time. That's a tough lesson, I think, for a lot of entrepreneurs. Well, I can't wait to read the news on what's next for the Newsworthy soon. Thank you so much for being here, Erica. I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. This was fun. Even if you are the front man or woman of your business, for your company to have longevity you might need to bring someone else into the spotlight with you. Here's what Erica taught us today. When you start from the bottom, you appreciate your success so much more. Enjoy the little moments while you dream of bigger and better things. Shake off that doggy dog mentality and see ways in which your competitors can actually become your allies. It's good to run with the pack every now and then. Don't get discouraged if you're working in an oversaturated market. 
be clear about your offering and what you bring to the table. Hire a team before you burn out. It saves you a lot of drama, keeps you happier and healthier, and can actually help your business grow. On Thursday, we'll release a Nerdisode with Erica's three-step plan to cut through the distractions, keep your eyes on the prize, and build a fast-growing business. In the meantime, get your fast, fair, and fun 10 minutes of news from The Newsworthy on all your favorite podcast platforms. The I Make a Living podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks. Balancing your books, client relationships, and business isn't easy. FreshBooks gives you the info and time you need to focus on your big picture, your business, team, and clients. Right now, you can go to freshbooks.com slash podcast and take advantage of an exclusive offer for our listeners. And while you're at it, check out all of the resources that are available to you through our show notes. Our executive producer is Francisco Erzmendi. Editorial and content producer is Leo Shell Villanueva. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. And I'm Damona Hoffman, producer and host. Follow me at Damona Hoffman and FreshBooks at FreshBooks on all of the social platforms for more tips, tools, and resources because it's your business. We'll be back on Thursday with another Nerdisode.